This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Central Station. About a month ago, I had a long conversation with former maths teacher and now PD presenter Richard Andrew. He presents courses that help teachers engage students more effectively in the classroom, allowing both teachers and students to get more out of the subject. One of the main themes of our recent discussion was conceptual versus procedural approaches to maths teaching, something that Richard spends a lot of time thinking about. Maths isn't necessarily the easiest subject to get your head around, particularly if you don't really see the relevance of what you're learning or if you don't think you're a maths person. But Richard thinks that understanding concepts first goes a long way to improving the situation before you get stuck into running the numbers, so to speak. One of the last things I asked Richard in this long and in-depth conversation was, does this all mean that maths can actually be easy? Are you suggesting that maths should be easy as opposed to understandable? Now that's, no, I'm not. No, I'm absolutely not. So I can understand it, but it can still be hard. Well, the point is, I mean, if you look at, say, trigonometry, for example, there's a, an article I'd like you to link to in the podcast, which is um, a conceptual approach to trigonometry. And in, in that, I explain this in more detail. And there's a video of using this software to in, introduce this unit. But basically, like, I think we all know what a procedural approach or a procedures first approach to trigonometry would look like so you look at the you know the, the sine ratio to determine the length of a side and then you go into the and that students do five to ten questions of that and then you you look at the procedure to find the length of a side using the cosine ratio and then the tangent ratio so that we're looking at two or three lessons into the unit and then we're looking at how to find angles using sine cos and tan and you know but, but by the time we get to mixed questions of a of a you know a worded sort of nature with ladders against shed roofs and all this sort of stuff, we're probably six seven lessons into a unit, um, and I've taught this many times. And the thing about that six to seven lesson mark is that I'm looking at the kids and and there's talk of mutiny, like that, <laughs> that, that, they want to take me out because Maybe, they don't. What, do, <laughs> because do, do you think that's because it's just not interesting to them? Well, okay, that's another point. Um, now, there's other ways of approaching trigonometry that may seem more more um, relatable. But I know for a fact, if, if maths is presented in a way that makes sense to students, right? Yeah. For example, in this, with an understanding of first approach with right-angle trigonometry, um, the first time I did this, I just realized, well, what, what is trig? Um, and I realize it's based on similar triangles. So it's like the, if you look at two similar right angle triangles, you've got pairs of corresponding pairs of sides. Well, the ratio between those pairs is, is the same because they're similar. And if you present that, and you can, you, software like GeoGebra is really good at, at presenting that idea. And, and it's in that video in that article, it, it explains how to do that. And it, so it's like you can explain to students up front what this whole trigonometry thing is about. And then, rather than doing a whole lot of sine situations and a whole lot of cosine, a whole lot of tan, which compartmentalizes things because we think it makes it easier for students, but actually we're making it more difficult. What I had the students doing is in a pre-prepared worksheet where where I had pre-drawn the the triangles, but each time they had to look 
at the situation and think about trigonometry and work out whether it was a sine situation or a cosine or a tangent, depending on which sides were had lengths written on them. In other words, they had to do a lot more thinking and they liked thinking, right? So my point is they ate this worksheet up um, and it was a very different experience to watching kids work through a procedural first approach where they're doing, you know, 10 questions of a sign and 10 questions of cause where they're just following a procedure. These kids still had to follow a procedure, but first they had to really think about what was going on. And there's an inherent enjoyment about that when you're, when you're using your own brain to put things together. And this was a, this was a standard sort of a class. This was, this was a class that I knew if I tackled it, with a procedures first approach, it was going to crash and burn. And I, I used a bit of psychology with this with this group. I, I said, "Look, <laughs> wait a second, psychology with a maths class." I did. I said, "Look, <laughs> was that just to get them into the room?" <laughs> they, no, no, they, they were they were great kids, but they weren't weren't always your ideal maths class. To uh, let me tell you, but I said, "Look, let me be honest with you here. We're about to do a topic that most students find a bit harder. It's a bit different, and." We're going to tackle this in a different way, and I reckon you can cope with it, but it's it's not going to be that easy. Now, what, so what I'd immediately set in place there was they're out to prove me wrong, and these kids ate, ate this approach up, and then I'd use this approach subsequently. But because I had the students working on stuff that they could use their own brain, their own logic with, and make sense of it, and so they were, they were understanding it from the get-go, we got to that seven, six to seven lesson mark where they were doing composite, um, you know, questions of of all sorts of different types, but worded questions. We got to that point in about three lessons. Hmm. So I'd saved four lessons out of a twelve lesson unit. Three to four lessons I'd saved using this approach. Why? Because they understood what they were doing for the entire lesson, and they were into it. Now you said you said before, um, but maybe maybe they turned off because it's not relevant. I agree it's, um, it's important to make maths relevant, but you, it's not always that easy. And I think, and although that's, that's a valid point to make, I think a, a more valid point to make is what if we made maths um, understandable so as they spent pretty much all of every lesson doing stuff that they understood and they could collaborate with their neighbours and brainstorm and workshop and work stuff out and then see the procedures and they made sense so they could fly through those as well. I've so, seen classes who do this and, and there's a, the buzz in the room is, is awesome. So maybe maths has just been suffering from a major PR problem over the last few decades. Well, definitely. They need a new uh, marketing department. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, my, my very simple point is that if, if, we, don't, if we don't have students it, no, if we have students who are not understanding what they're working on for the for vast chunks of lesson time we're going to have those when are we ever going to use this sir i mean i used to get that question where, where is this relevant in society and i, I realized that 90 percent of those questions of the students asking those questions are not actually asking that question the question they're asking is can i get out of this room <laughs> it is that's the question. It's like, I, I, I want to stop this process. I don't want to be here. That's what they're saying. And I don't blame them. But that's, and so I, I, I started to, I mean, you've got to have rapport with these kids. You know, so you'd have a the certain usual suspect would put that one up. And I'd say, let, let's call him Peter. 
Uh, it wasn't Peter. <laughs> hey, Peter, I know you're not asking question, that question. You just want to get out of the room, don't you? And they go, yep. So, and then I'd, I would sort of ignore because I got sick of answering these questions to blank looks. They're not interested in my answer. Mm. They just want to pose the question. So well, that's I think what, yeah, well, that's why I asked the question. Maybe maths just isn't that interesting to people. Well, it's not interesting if you don't understand what you're doing. So there you have it. Maths isn't interesting if you don't know what you're doing. I suppose that could be said about anything, really. But maybe it's just easier to point the finger at maths because historically it's always carried that kind of vibe. But Richard has other experiences that can shed light here. But I, I from experience, have seen where if you've got, if you can have the students understanding what they're working on because they can make connections themselves and then you allow them to work together in situations, then what's seemingly not that interesting suddenly becomes social and interesting and fun to work with. Students working together in maths? Social, interesting and fun? Now that sounds amazing. Can we just make this happen, or do we need some kind of light bulb moment? Maybe it's just hard to see the other side when you've been doing something for so long that you just can't possibly remember what it's like to not know something. Tell me about this idea that teachers, or maths teachers in particular, are so good at what they do and they've been doing it for so long that they've kind of forgotten what it's like to not know something or not understand something, and therefore there's this distance between them and the students. Well, th this ties in, uh, you, you know that I recently wrote an article with a title, something like, you know, the, the, the elephant in the maths classroom which sort of talked about what we're talking about here and that we've, we've got this problem with, um, there's an issue with that we're not really seeing that, that a lot of maths is taught procedurally. So therefore by default, there's students not really understanding uh, what they're doing for parts of time. And uh, that's a problem because their, their door to learning shuts because they get turned off. But the other part of this elephant um, uh, was that maths teachers high school maths teachers by default are the least capable human beings of relating to what it's like to, <laughs> to not know it's true. I'm not, I'm not having a shot at anyone. If we haven't, if we've never experienced this experience of not understanding maths, then we're looking at our class and not saying, Oh my God, this is a, this is a catastrophe because I can see there's a lot of kids not getting this. We can't feel that because we don't know what it's like. And so I think that helps the elephant from being hidden. Now, the reason that I took that article down was because I realized that I'd Googled it and Joe Bowler's written a book almost with identical titles. So I thought, well, I can't put that article up there. So I've repackaged it. But, but um, I think this is, a, this is an interesting point. And, and maybe one of the reasons we haven't moved on from this is because math teachers, by and large, don't relate um, to what it's like to not not get maths. We all we, we need some sort of epiphany. Wow, an epiphany! On one level, that sounds drastic, but upon reflection, my and my, if you don't mind me saying, my mine came because I was um, tutoring a daughter of a, a friend, and she she was about year six or seven, and you know I knew she she struggled badly with maths, but then one day I saw it, and I saw. This kid, who's a lovely, lovely child, um, didn't understand place value. Didn't know what the, didn't know what the digit in a hundreds column meant or stood for. And I suddenly realised, oh my god! And this was just the tip of the iceberg. And I thought, 
this poor girl has no idea what she's doing in maths class ever, and she still tries. I'm thinking, oh my God, what? it must be torture for her. And I think that that's that helped me to realise that there's a problem here with kids not understanding uh, maths les- what's going on in maths lessons. So how does a teacher then wind back the clock and say, all right, uh, maybe I need to have less of an understanding or try to imagine myself having less of an understanding? Is it is it the sort of situation where you'd say, all right, I'm going to explain something and then look out to the class and say, right, who got that? And someone puts up their hand, and then you say, "Why did you get that?" Maybe that's how maybe oh. that's how a teacher can start to understand what that thought process is because it's been so long for them since they've had that by themselves. Well, I'm hoping that writing the articles I write and through this discussion, it might stop people in their tracks and think, "Oh, it's, it's, they've got a point here. This is something worth considering." I think that's that's probably good enough as well. I've actually I've actually toyed with the idea of um, of uh, I haven't run a session yet, but at a maths conference one day, I'm going to run a session where, as part of it, I'm going to invent this ridiculous maths that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, just with different characters and whatever, and and teach procedurally, you know, four or five things, and then then they will have to answer these questions, which actually make no sense whatsoever. Like it's not possible to understand it because there is no understanding. My, and my point would be, this is what maths looks like to a lot of kids, and what does that feel like? Um, I haven't done it yet because it's like an, it'd be a, a tricky thing to pull off, but I think it's <laughs> worth worth doing. And my point there would simply be to give maths teachers a taste of what it's like to not understand something, even though that's a bit foreign because it's actually not understandable because there's no there's no actual sensible logic in it. But just to give an experience, because and the the point would be to well, let's have a think about what it might be like. What if what if maths looks like that to a number of students? You know, and what do we do about that? Do you think some teachers might be a bit um, affronted by that? As in, what well, you're trying to tell me to understand? You're trying to get me to not understand something or see it from the not understanding perspective? They might say, "Well, hang on a second. I I do that all the time. That's why I teach maths." Uh, maybe, but I mean, I think my experience of working like this with people most, um, you know, the, the point of what I'm doing here is just to get people to think about things they might not have thought about much before. I, I don't, I don't tend to hear this conversation, uh, much. Oh, so, so you think it's just or, something that people don't talk about very much as in, uh, we've got a curriculum yeah. to get through, we've got a textbook to get through, um, exams are coming up. Um, look, sorry, I don't have really have time to think, uh, think or talk about this. Can we just get well, on with it, please? I think there's a fair bit of that that goes on here. Um, so how do you stop that? Start talking about it. <laughs> well, you, I, mean, I, you mean, I, look, you mean look, going to the lunchroom and talking about something more than the footy? <laughs> well, it's certainly what, well, it's what I've been doing for since I left teaching, since I've been working with teachers and putting ideas out, and, and they're always very well received. I think teachers, well, teaching is is the most time poor poor profession. So I don't blame teachers for not thinking about this stuff too much. Now there's a problem: teachers being time poor and not having too much time to think about these sorts of things. That reminds me of my conversation with Simon Brooks, a previous guest on the show who presents widely on the subject of cultures of thinking. Simon suggests that we should be putting this time back into our classrooms, but not just randomly even though this could make things a little awkward. If we want to give a student a chance to make a connection, what are we talking, two seconds, three seconds? 
Think, is it contextual? I mean, how do you work that out? When when does when does the thinking time become awkward silence? It's an interesting one. So there's lots of research that's been done over the years on thinking time, and much of the research has indicated that when we teachers ask our classes questions, on average, we wait anything between 0.7 <laughs> and 1.5 seconds of silence. And then the awkwardness becomes all-consuming, and then we plough on and continue regardless, okay? One second later, what do you mean you don't have the answer? You haven't figured it out yet? What's wrong with you? Exactly, right? (laughs) Whereas in a culture of thinking, we'd be looking for at least a three-second wait time. And that might just be silent time, right? And yes, the first ten times that happens, it could feel awkward. Now let's get back to Richard and hear more about how he handles things like this. I think I, I was a bit of a different, like I was always more interested in the process of teaching and it always frustrated me that I was, that my students, you know, it, the students who weren't looking inspired, who I was turning off, really frustrated, frustrated me in, into driving me to change my ways, to find ways of teaching that made sense. And then through and I was in a couple of different situations where I was kind of the whole maths department in a very small school, so I was able to explore things. And then, so I discovered some some um, you know strategies, and then found that other people had discovered the same thing. So it's not like that I discovered anything brand new, but to me they were new. So there was a sort of a journey that I that I'd been on. Um, but none of the stuff that I advocate is you know just uh, wild kind of ideas that aren't aren't backed by any research. I think what you're suggesting here is a qualitative or a conversational approach to maths teaching. I quite like that. Let's go into this maths classroom and just talk about maths things for a while. <laughs> that well, way I might not have to do anything that's particularly difficult. <laughs> well, well if, you, if, you present, but if you present workshops and activities which immerse the students in the concepts and allows them to uh, use their own brain to, to connect the dots, and then you show them the procedures and they're happy and they're collaborating and they're working, then, uh, you know, that, that just goes, then the conversations come out of that because they're not just following a routine that you put on the board. There's actually something to talk about because they are making, the, you know, it's a very different thing to have to be working on something that you can actually use your own thoughts and reasoning to, to, to um, produce what you're being asked to produce. So you've got a couple and, of courses to help teachers with this, don't you? I do. Well, there's a, there's a, 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 a I guess the main course is um, engagement, winning over your math class, which could easily be titled, you know, how to use a understanding first approach to presenting mathematics. I mean, you could use a number of titles, but that really does um, get teachers to self-reflect about what's going on and um, looks at these more conceptually based understanding first type principles uh, that you can apply to almost any topic. And then there's another another course uh, which is specifically about a conceptual approach to coordinate geometry because that's a classic, that's a typical place where a lot of students crash and burn. Um, you know, I've, I've tutored calculus, year 11 calculus students who didn't know the relationship between an ordered pair and the equation of the line that it lies on and didn't didn't understand how the gradient relates to the equation which relates to the table of values, like just had no understanding of how this stuff comes together. And if you don't understand those connections, you can't possibly do it. Um, and that's also, he's a, he was a product of a 
procedural approach. You could mm. just see it. So this this uh, this course is a is a really good. It's, it's not as long as the other courses. It, these are all online. This is about an eight hour course, but it's a good example of using a understanding first approach uh, through an entire unit from start to finish, and then okay, the principles there I can apply to other topics uh, as well. So yeah. Well, Richard, I really like your approach. I like the fact that you're trying to bring in that uh, that conceptual understanding. I, I like the I like the concept of a uh, a maths class based on conversation and maybe a bit of philosophy and maybe a, a comfortable lounge chair or something like that. It's been great to talk. It's been great to discuss these ideas with you, Richard. It's always great to talk to you, Colin. Thanks very much. Well, we've covered quite a few difficult and complex issues there with respect to approaches to maths teaching. But even as a person not directly involved with the teaching and learning of maths, I have a much deeper appreciation now of how conceptual approaches can make a useful and potentially perception-changing difference. And as always, it's great fun to talk with Richard about these things because he's clearly very passionate about them and committed to the cause. And if you found this discussion helpful and you'd like to know more about Richard's courses, then you can get in touch by visiting the website, learnimplementshare.com. Or you can send Richard an email, richard at learnimplementshare.com. You've been listening to Central Station. And to hear more great interviews with educators making a positive difference, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app. This podcast is brought to you by Central. And to find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now. Mm-hmm.